Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the Personal Productivity Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome. I am your host Tia Hama and today we are going to be discussing procrastination and how those things affect personal and work-related productivity. So I am here with Paul Miners. How are you today, Paul? Hey Tia, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. So for those who don't know you, do you mind explaining a bit about who you are and what it is you do? Yeah, so I uh, the la- I do a lot of different things. So the label that I put on myself, although it might change depending on who I'm talking to, is that I'm a productivity consultant. And so uh, I, uh, on my website, paulminers.com, I've been blogging and podcasting about productivity since about 2015, 2014, 2015. Oh, wow. And then um, in 2016, I actually started a consulting business. Um, so we now help teams, uh, you know, small to medium-sized businesses, to use productivity tools like Asana, uh, which is a project management tool, uh, and Pipedrive, which is a sales CRM. And then we do a lot of work with a tool called Zapier, which is a really great way that you can automate your different systems and things. And so, yeah, and I mean, I sort of monetize the business in a few different ways, but generally it's about helping people with productivity, working with businesses on uh, their software and, and helping their teams to set up and use their productivity tools more effectively. Because uh, I think, yeah, if you have good systems and good tools in place, you can uh, get more done uh, with your time. So that's uh, that's basically what we do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'd just be curious, sort of a niche area to kind of consult on. How did you get into this area where you are today? Yeah, well, the productivity started back when I was at university, actually. So um, what what was great about university, I found anyway, <laughs> was at the start of the semester, the lecturers give you all the dates for like, these are when your exams are, your midterms, these are when all your assignments are due. It's up to you. And especially going from school to like a, a college or university environment, you're very much on your own. Nobody's chasing you to attend class or hand in assignments. You, it is up to you. So mm-hmm. it really taught me the, import, the importance of like personal accountability. But because at the start of the semester, they gave us all these dates, I was like, okay, well, let me just put everything into my calendar. And I know I have an assignment due in four weeks. So let me block out some time to work on these things. Like I know I'm gonna need uh, you know, an hour to work on the intro and then an hour to do this paragraph. And I'll kind of just digest everything that I was doing into my calendar. And this is, this is what I call time blocking. And so I would basically work backwards from these deadlines that we were given and, and plan out when I was gonna get everything done. And so that's really where I started developing a real interest in productivity mm. and um, experimenting with different ways to uh, organize my time and and, uh, and and plan my work. And then it was um, a few years later, yeah, about 2014, 2015, after, you know, I'd been working for a few years at this point. I wanted to, I knew I wanted to work for myself. You know, I, I wanted to kind of be my own boss and be self-sufficient. And I thought, you know, what could I help people with? 
And I felt like, yeah, I've got some experience with productivity. It's something I'm interested in. And I, th I think it's something people need help with. So that kind of started me on, um, on the blog was just this interest in productivity. And then the consulting started, um, uh, I started helping people with Asana first because I was working in marketing at a, uh, an e-commerce company here in New Zealand, Mighty Ape, if anyone's heard of it. Oh, they actually have an Australian website as well. And like a lot of businesses, we tried a few different productivity tools for organizing our work and we couldn't really find anything we liked. And then I found Asana and even though I was working in marketing, it wasn't really my job description. Being the productivity geek that I am, I, I figured out how to use it. And uh, long story short, we transitioned about 50 plus office staff over to using Asana. Oh, wow. And the owner of the company who he was so pleased, he paid me a bonus because of the impact that it had. It really improved how we work. So he paid me this bonus. And so, so it was a few, few years later, yeah, no, it was pretty good. Well, that, that was a really um, important moment because it made me realize, oh, wow, like the business, the owner of the business really sees value in this. Mm. So a few years later when, you know, I'd started my blog and it, I was still working full time and I was just blogging as a bit of a hobby, but I was like, what could I do to really monetize this? And so I thought, well, maybe I can help people with Asana because if my old boss is going to pay me a bonus, maybe other business owners will pay for support as well. Mm. And so I started offering that as a service, um, just as a bit of a side project. And then over the course of about six months, I quickly got to the point where I was earning more from this part-time <laughs> consulting business than I was at my job. So I was like, yeah. okay, that's all the validation I need. And so I uh, quit my job and, and took it full time. And then the business has kind of grown and I've um, diversified into other services from there. Yeah. That's so awesome. You must have been like the most like studious, organized university student. Like I cannot relate <laughs> at all. Um, <laughs> but that's so cool though. That's a good point. Yeah. Professors do give you the dates in advance. I'm, I'm currently studying um, at the moment. And so yeah, that's, this should probably push me to be a little bit more organized. <laughs> well, I, I'd started because I was, I'd already used my calendar for, to just put my lecture all my lectures into my calendar. I was yeah, like, I need, like I need to use my calendar. Yeah, because you yeah. with your calendar, you typically use your calendar for things that are time sensitive. Like, okay, I need to be at this lecture at this time. Or like this this podcast that we're doing now. If you sent me an invite, it's time sensitive. That's how most people use their calendar, is they anything that's time sensitive goes into the calendar. So meetings, appointments. And I just took it a step further. And I'm, I'm not the first person to do this. This is not my invention by any means. But I was, just, I was just like, well, okay, I know I have this assignment to do. I can either do it at the last minute and scramble, or if I just plan my time and put in some blocks where I'm going to do my readings before class or work on my assignment, then rather than scrambling and rushing at the last minute, I can actually create like a plan for how I'm going to get this done. Mm. That's so great. So as we've already mentioned today, we're going to be discussing procrastination. So for our listeners, Paul, how would you define procrastination? That's a great question. You know, I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Um, no pressure. I think, no, I think procrastination is really, it's avoiding, it's avoiding the work that you need to do, you know, it's, it's, it's either making excuses for why you shouldn't do something, or it could even be doing other work that's not as important as the work you should be doing. You know, sometimes we put off these like difficult tasks or awkward conversations and you can procrastinate by doing other work. And even though you're doing work, it kind of feels productive. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing this other thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not procrastinating. You are in a sense procrastinating from what you actually need to be doing. 
So I think procrastinating is, it's the excuses we tell ourselves, it's it's delaying or putting barriers in place and um, putting things off to the future that you should be doing now. Yeah. So that's a great definition. It's definitely something that's a little bit hard to define exactly because I think we all have different forms of procrastination. There's yeah. different ways. Like you said, you can definitely, you can always find something else to do instead of doing that one thing. And I think we're all very guilty of that. So we're going to dive into that um, a little bit later, but now we're going to do some sort of like rapid fire icebreaker questions yeah. so that the listeners can get to know you a little bit better. So I'm just going to ask you like 10 questions and then you just give me whatever comes to mind. Cool? Sure. Cool. cool. Brilliant. Okay. What is a book that you're currently reading or like just finished? I'm actually currently reading, I'm looking at my bookshelf now, um, The Concise 48 Laws of Power. So, wow. That does not sound concise. The 48 Laws of Power is like a, definitely a, like a best-selling book by Robert Greene. Um, and by power, he's, he's, he's not always talking about like, um, uh, you know, bending people to your will. It's, it's about just, um, being able to like back yourself and, and being able to, I guess, like convince people to your way of thinking and, and making yourself heard sometimes, you know, that's kind of what he's loosely means by power. And so he wrote this book years ago, 48 laws of power. And some of the laws, I mean, I'm still reading it right now. Um, some of the laws are things like um, concealing your intentions or not, you know, not speaking too much. Like we often give away too much by over speaking because mm. you know, we, we're compensating for yeah. a lull in the conversations. Anyway, he outlines these 48 laws of power and I'm reading the concise version. Um, I was going to get the full book and uh, I realized that the full book is quite large and often books, I think, get fluffed up with lots of examples and yeah um i i the concise version had, was well reviewed on amazon and i thought yeah i just want i just want the nuggets yeah i want the cliff notes yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so what is uh, one of your all-time favorite movies this is always a question that some guests find quite difficult i could name loads uh one of my all fa- all-time favorites i love like um inception by yeah. Christopher Nolan, great so movie. Good. Actually, The Dark Knight, which is also a Christopher Nolan movie. Christopher Nolan is so talented. Like, just, yeah, just putting uh, it Dark out. Knight's <laughs> great. Inception, um, just some of the classics like Lord of the Rings. You know, being being in New Zealand, maybe I'm biased, but <laughs> it's one just these movies that are made really well without too much like special effects, like lots of good practical effects. I really love yeah. you know some of the old classics. Have uh, you gone to see like the Lord of the Rings, like the sights and stuff that yeah, are in the film? Yeah, yeah. Um, well here in New Zealand, so if you want to go skiing or snowboarding on the North Island, a lot of people go to, um, Ruapehu. And so the, that mountain is where they filmed, um, uh, what's it called? Mount Doom. Yeah. So where Frodo and Sam oh, are going up so Mount cool. Doom at the end, they, that is on like basically the ski slopes of Ruapehu. <laughs> That's so um, awesome. So you basically drive up that, up that, um, bit of a uh, mountain where they filmed and then um there's loads of places all over the south island where they filmed um some of the big battle scenes and then obviously in on the north island as well in matamata we have the the shire the uh, hobbiton um wow you just like live on a movie set yeah well it used to be a temporary set but when they remade when they did the hobbit movies they knew they were going to have to rebuild the set so they negotiated making it all out of permanent materials so instead of it being made of like cheap wood and polystyrene like it was for the original movies 
when they redid it, they were like, can we build it out of brick and stone and wow. like permanent materials? Yeah. So you can go there now and uh, you can, it's unbelievable. You are literally walking through the Shire. That is so awesome. For those who haven't been to New Zealand, this is your, this is your sign to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they've got different sizes because they have some Hobbit holes which are human human size. So yep. that when they're filming with an actor next to the human size one, they, they look like a Hobbit because the, oh. the size of the hole is the Hobbit hole is the same as a human, so it looks yeah. normal. But then when they had Ian McKellen, who's Gandalf, yeah. on set, he he is actually a human, and Hobbits are obviously very small, <laughs> so they need him to look very big, and they can't make him bigger, so they make the Hobbit holes smaller. Oh, so that's so awesome. There are some hobbit holes and the little gardens and wheelbarrows that are tiny because when they have Ian McKellen standing next to it, he looks massive. So it's that really funny, so awesome. the, different, the different scales, yeah. That is so cool. Lord of the Rings fans are geeking out right now. Yeah, that's yeah. so awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So besides your podcast and maybe our own, what is a podcast that you're currently obsessed with? <laughs> um. Uh, so I'm I'm big into Bitcoin. So I really like um, a show called What Bitcoin Did. Um, it's a, a great show to just like, it takes a really objective look at, you know, the pros and cons. And I think they, they do pretty good at having like a balanced discussion. And uh, just it's a, it's a great show if you're interested in learning more about Bitcoin and uh, how it works and, and uh, you know, what it what it can do. It's a, it's a great show. So I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, kind of binging that at the moment. Oh, that's, and that one's called What Bitcoin Did. What Bitcoin Did, yeah, by Peter McCormack, so cool. yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay, what is a documentary that you've recently watched? Documentary? Jeez, what have I recently watched? I don't think I've watched a documentary in a while. Um, no pressure. <laughs> mm, I don't know. There are some really good ones on Netflix that I can there are. recommendations. <laughs> well, I've, I've, there's plenty that I've watched. Um What's what's one of your favorites then? Um, I don't know if I have a favorite documentary. There's plenty that are like interesting, but um, unlike movies, there's there's none I've like gone back and rewatched. Do you know what I mean? Um, they tend to not really be ones. things you rewatch. I don't know why. Yeah. It's not really something I'm like. Okay, I got the information now. I'm I'm content. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll let you know if I if I think of something while we're chatting today. I'll I'll come back to that one. But uh, I haven't watched a documentary in a while. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty <laughs> of like going on Netflix just to find documentaries. I don't know. I just find them so fascinating. I watched one on um like Boeing and their planes and like what happened in terms mm. of like the degradation of like the quality and the oh, standards. That's really that's, good. I think that's on my list actually. Um, Highly recommend. I saw, I saw that. What were some of the popular ones recently? I can't remember. I like some of the explained ones. Um, so it's not really, they're not like movie length. The, the explained series are like sort of, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 minute episodes. Is that Vox? Vox, yeah. 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 Um, so they do these sort of short little episodes explaining like how diamonds are made and sold and um, explaining different diets and uh, oil and just random topics like how fashion you know yeah. is it fashion or like fast fashion and just these short little episodes I really like those because then again they're nice and bite-sized you can you can kind of just skim and see which ones look interesting and you can watch one for like 20 or 30 minutes yeah YouTube is the best place for that that's for sure yeah well this is on Netflix the the explained ones oh right yeah they are too yeah yeah, yeah. we love books okay 
So uh, who is your famous role model? I love this question. Fa- favorite role model, do you mean? Or famous, favorite, whatever, whichever. <laughs> like, do I have a famous role model? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just, I misunderstood the question. Like, so do I have a role model? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry, I wasn't sure who is my famous role model. Um, um, role models... Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm a big Apple fan as well. Like, mm-hmm. so I always look back at like Steve Jobs and legendary, you know, like the impact that he had and his approach. And, uh, you know, when movies have come out about him or, yeah, was it movie? There was the Ashton Kutcher one, there was the Fassbender one, but the books, I've really enjoyed the books on Steve Jobs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually, for our three year old boy, they do these little, uh, I've forgotten what the series is called. Um, little heroes or something and they do these like biographies for kids about famous people oh so cool so we got one about steve jobs um and so it's written for a child it's got like nice little illustrations but it's just about their life so they've got like steve jobs we bought john lennon you you've got like uh mother Teresa, gandhi are they the books yeah they're like short little children yeah i've seen these yeah yeah so cute um, so now like Steve Jobs is someone who, you know, it's funny cause I, I always say like, you know, the world is kind of like this really crazy place right now. Mm. You know, it seems like whether it's COVID or war with Russia and Ukraine and all the inflation that we're seeing, like the world is when you just think it's kind of getting back to normal, it just gets a little bit crazier yeah, and a little bit more uncertain as well. I think a lot of people just aren't sure what's going to happen. And I sometimes think like, oh man, I wonder what Steve would say if he was here. Cause like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? He's just, he was just like a really influential yeah. person obviously had a very big impact on the world mm-hmm. i think apple obviously being a massive company has a lot of influence as well so sometimes i feel like what would he say about the world if he could see it today <laughs> yeah that would be really interesting it's yeah mild spoiler alert uh for upcoming guests that we might have not steve jobs <laughs> um but for an upcoming guest bit of a spoiler alert for listeners um, so stay tuned for that okay Moving on, um, who is your favorite artist? This can be like musician, actor. Yeah, um, I've got lots of actors I really like. Um, I love like Tom Hanks. Um, He's really good. Uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman as well because he seems like the kind of person when you listen to him in an interview, he just seems like a normal person. And he doesn't, from what I've heard as well, I actually listened to a recent interview with him on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And I think something that Tim said was that he's exactly the same in person as you would expect him to be. Like he's not putting on wow. this um, this sort of um, character. He's not acting a different way in interviews. Like he's just really down to earth and like a genuinely just nice person. And so I really admire that. Um, uh, I also, artists, movies, uh, uh, yeah, Christopher Nolan as a director, I think yep. he's really good. Definitely. Um, authors, I really like uh, Ryan Holiday. Okay. So, so Ryan Holiday, I think actually was a, um, so he, he wrote the books. I don't know if you know his books. He wrote the books like The Obstacle is the Way, um, Stillness is the Key, um, which are books about Stoic philosophy. Right. Uh, so which, which is, which is um, a lot of ideas that I live by now, partly because of his reading um, or his, his writing rather. So he, his books really introduced me to like stoic teaching and, and these stoic principles, just like a good framework for how to live your life. I'm, I'm not like a religious person, you know, I've, I have, you know, good morals, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. but like, um, 
unlike a, you know, I don't follow any religion. So I don't have that a religion gives you like a really good framework, I guess, for like how to live, but not being a religious person, I've been attracted to like stoicism because it's not religious in any way. Stoicism yeah. is just a philosophy. It's just a, it's just guidelines for how to live like a happy life. Um, and so Ryan Holiday's writing on stoicism, his books have been, <laughs> um, have had a big impact on me. So yeah, I really, and, and he's just got a great writing style as well. He's, he's um, great at like taking a topic and digesting it and sharing it in a really easy to understand way. Okay, that sounds good. So that's Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday, yeah. yeah. Awesome, we'll have to look out for those. Mm. Okay, what is a recent course you have completed? Course? Uh... <laughs> this week, actually. Uh, okay. this, I, did, I, I did an impulse buy. This is nothing to do with like, <laughs> business or personal development. Yeah. I guess it's kind of personal development. I was, I was <laughs> scrolling through Instagram, as you do, and Instagram knows me scarily well. And I got this ad for a golf, an instructional golf video about how not to slice the ball, which is if you've ever done some golf, if you <laughs> no. hit the ball off the tee, slicing it's where it like curves off to the right. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's, a, it's a thing that a lot of golfers struggle with, me definitely included. And so this video came up, it's like, do you struggle with slicing the ball? I was like, yes, I do. I guess. So um, I bought this to... This, it's almost like a, just a mini course. It was like $50. And That's it was so by cool. this guy, I think his name's Hank Haney, who was Tiger Woods's former golf coach. Wow. And so I literally just watched that the other day and then went to the range to practice in it. And it, it worked. It's, it's, I mean, it hasn't <laughs> fixed me. It hasn't fixed my slice yet, but it's definitely helping. And so okay. I literally sort of signed up to that the other day. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. That's so fascinating. All right, and last question. Um, what is an event that you've recently attended? This can be in, in real life or online. Uh, events. I mean, done a few weddings this summer, but those aren't probably the events you're so thinking about. <laughs> so many weddings. So many weddings. Yeah, lots of weddings, especially in March. March is always busy wedding season. Yeah. Um, events. I mean, I've done a few, uh, I hosted a webinar myself recently. I hosted an Asana webinar, which was, um, which was good fun. Oh, wow. Um, and then what did I do? Um, I mean, obviously with COVID I haven't done a, as much as I normally would. I, yeah. I mean, I attend some, there are some like pipe drive, um, online events, uh, every couple of months, you know, being part of pipe drives, like partner network, we attend these sort of um, virtual events every few months and the pipe drive team are really good at like keeping us up to date with changes to their product and, yeah. and what's coming up and, and that kind of thing. So um, that's sort of very, very specific to my industry really. But uh, yeah, I haven't, haven't done a lot, lot of events recently. Okay. I think we can yeah. count weddings. I think. Uh, yeah. Weddings, sure. <laughs> I think that's enough. <laughs> I think there's been so many of those on recently. That I have they, a 30th. There's count. a friend's 30th this weekend as well. I'm going to that. Oh, fun. <laughs> that's so nice. Yeah. So many birthdays and weddings and it's just yeah. like everyone's been holding out for like two years. So yeah. now there's like everything. <laughs> I am gutted. I mentioned I was a Bitcoin fan and Right now, today, this week mm. is the Bitcoin conference in Miami, which I would have loved to have gone to. Um, a but right, it's a conference, yeah. So oh. um, I would have loved to have gone to it. Unfortunately, if you leave New Zealand right now, you you basically can't get back in. <laughs> they're going to be opening the they're going to be opening the borders up um, in a few months, or maybe it was next month or the month after. I can't remember. I yeah. can't keep up with all the rule changes, to be honest. Um, so for that reason, just leaving and probably 
like the, just the question mark around getting back into the country meant it was too hard to go. But I would have loved to have yeah. gone to that. That's totally valid. No, yeah, like we're based in Melbourne um, and the restrictions, I think, change on like a weekly basis. Yeah, um, I can't, I'm just working at home, so it's just like, oh, just let me know when it's over. Exactly. <laughs> no, 100%. All right, so let's travel back to procrastination now and productivity. So we discussed the definition of procrastination, but I'm curious as to whether you think there's a difference between the definition of personal versus workplace procrastination. Is there a difference? Um, Good question. I mean... Yeah, I mean, you, I think you can procrastinate in different ways. Like I said, at work, you can procrastinate either by, yeah, maybe when you should be working, you might go on social media or watch some videos and gen- like genuinely, like it's the worst form of procrastination because you're not doing anything. Like you're literally wasting your time. Um, and then you've got like a form of procrastination, like I talked about, where you procrastinate with other types of work. So even though you should, you know, you should be doing this one thing over here because you maybe don't know where to start or it's difficult or um, you don't have a plan. You you procrastinate by doing other forms of work, by doing your email or by whatever, making yourself busy with something else. And so you're putting off something you need to do by doing other work that makes you kind of trick yourself into feeling like you're being productive, but really, you know, you should be spending a time on this other thing. And this is what like books like Eat That Frog talk about. Eat That Frog is about work on that. You know, eating the frog is like, eating the frog is disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's, can you explain yeah, it's that like, please? It's Eat the Frog. The concept is basically, you know, you have something important you need to do, but you probably, you don't want to do it because it's difficult or you, maybe you need to have an awkward conversation with somebody. Yeah. So it's this thing you don't want to do. You don't want to eat the frog, but you should eat the frog because once you get that difficult thing out of the way, it just makes life a lot easier. It clears the way for you to then work on other things. And most importantly, it means you can move that difficult project forward. So eat the frog is just about don't just because it's a uh, hard work, don't avoid it, you know, don't put off the hard yeah. work. Um, so yeah, I think there's a few forms of pr- procrastination like that. And then personal procrastination. Um, you know, I think I, th- I think the same things apply, you can either just like, not use your time well, you can um, procrastinate from doing housework by sitting and scrolling on your phone um, yeah. or you can you know avoid things that you know you should be doing um uh, by doing other things so uh, to, yeah to, i guess to answer your question no i don't see a huge difference between personal and work-based i just think you can procrastinate in different ways and the thing i see is that people trick themselves into feeling productive when they're actually avoiding what they really need to be doing yeah so outside of procrastination what do you believe to be the main challenges that can hinder an individual's personal productivity? A couple of things. Um, one I would say is like a, a lack of maybe discipline. And so people often know what they need to do. They know what what work they should be doing or what project they should be working on. But they maybe just lack the the discipline around um, holding themselves to like a good routine or habits. Like forming good habits often is just about being being disciplined and holding yourself accountable. Um, so that I think is one is just like not holding yourself accountable slash a lack of discipline. And the other I think is like not having a good system or process in place. And this helps with the, the discipline issue. 
and the procrastination issue is sometimes people are unproductive or disorganized because they don't have a good way of managing everything they're doing, whether it's like, I don't have a tool for seeing all the work that I need to do, or I'm not using my calendar effectively. So I don't have a good plan for my time or my computer's a mess and I've got files saved on my desktop and I haven't, (laughs) I haven't put them into folders and organized everything. Like you don't have a good system. Um, and I think the system, if you sort your system, if you have a good set of tools and processes in place, and if you follow the right habits in terms of how you use that system, it will address the discipline issue and it addresses the procrastination Mm. issue. So I think, yeah, like having a good system, which helps you to be disciplined, um, is something that, you know, we talk about with a lot of our clients. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's yeah part of your area of expertise is just helping people and equipping them with the tools to actually be productive. Because um, I think, yeah, I've been at uni for a couple years now, sort of extending my study a little bit. And um, yeah, it's it's changed. Like the way I was in first year is completely yeah. different to how I'm studying now because I've got different tools now and learning how to be more productive with the time that I have. Um, and yeah, having those like organization apps and mm. like tools and stuff, I always sort of discounted how like helpful they would be. I was always like, yeah, yeah like I don't, I don't need that. Like that's just going to add to my chaos. Um, yeah. It doesn't. It's actually really like, helpful. Personally, if I'm ever feeling like under the pump, you know, got a lot on, a little bit stressed out, I try, not, I try not to stress too much, but like if I'm ever feeling a bit stressed out, um, what I'll do is organize myself. Yeah. So whether it's like going into my to-do list, right, let's look at this, let's get it sorted, let's put some dates on everything, let's work out when I'm going to do it, let's check my calendar, like how am I going to use this time today, what's the most important thing I need to work on, what do I want to achieve for the rest of the week, let's make some time for those important things, let's actually put that into the calendar. Um, could even be cleaning up my physical environment. Sometimes it's just like my physical environment is a bit of a mess. Maybe I just need to clean my desk or, um, even, even personally, like, let's just clean the house a little bit. Let's just get a little bit sorted. And so once you sort your, sort your stuff, you know, your work, even cleaning up your physical environment, that's something I like to do. Cause it, then it feels like, even though I have a lot going on, at least now I'm organized and I have a plan. Yeah. It's when I have a lot going on and I have no plan, that's when the stress kicks in. Yep. No, 100%. I can definitely agree with that. Yeah, you have to just make sure you have a bit of an understanding of what you're actually supposed to be doing and having a clean space really just changes the game. Yeah. And I was talking about this with my with my colleague the other day because um, this is a full-time um, contractor who works with me. He's basically an employee and he... Um, feeling a bit under the pump. We have a lot of projects on the go right now. Mm. And so I was helping him to schedule his calendar and say like, right, this is, this is when you should work on each client. This is who's a priority and so on. And I sort of, I just said to him, we had a call the other day because we both virtual. And I said, you know, don't worry. Like, yes, we have a lot to do, but now we have a plan. Like it's on your calendar. We know when you know when you're going to do everything and nobody's unhappy as long as we're clear with expectations as well about when things are going to get done as long as we communicate that to people yeah so they know not to chase us as well and we're clear about when they can expect things we have this plan don't worry about it yes we have a lot to do but that we have a plan now and and he did yeah like we ended the call we had the plan and he's like yeah i i said i said like 
has this helped do you feel better and he's like yeah this is this is amazing (laughs) yeah exactly no it's yeah very important um like you said and it just changes sort of how you can feel and you brought up an interesting point in terms of um therefore like when you've got a plan and you've let other people know they don't have to chase you up which I think can be really frustrating when you're like I've got this plan and I know what I'm doing but people are constantly asking you about it and you're just kind of like if you've if you shared the plan with other people and they know where you're at, then it just prevents that sort of like useless sort of yeah. conflict. Um, so, yeah, not having to chase people up is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so let's talk about hustle culture. Um, hustle baby seems to be a bit of a catchphrase everywhere now. It's on people's yeah. mugs and bags and everything. Um but hustle culture is defined as the state of overworking till it's almost like a lifestyle, or at least yeah. that's my understanding of it. Is, is that your understanding of it? Yeah, yeah, I would say so, yeah. So what are your thoughts essentially on hustle culture in regards to productivity? Sort of what do you think are the positive and negative side effects of this hustle culture that we have? Mm. I mean, I think there's a time and a place and yes, hustle culture and hustling can be useful, but long-term it's not sustainable. So uh, I used to be more of a subscriber to like, yeah, let's hustle. And, you know, back when I was starting my business in sort of like 2015, 2016, um, it was really important for me to hustle because I was like, I need to get this business off the ground. You know, I'm working a full-time job. I'm going to have to work in the mornings and evenings to get this done. For me, at that point in my life, working on this side business and getting it off the ground, hustling was really important and and it helped me to get going. And like, do you know Gary Vaynerchuk, the um, the entrepreneur? He's he's one of these. Um, he's in the US. He's in New York. He has a, a social media agency and has done a lot of like content marketing and stuff. But he's okay. a big um, he's a big like hustle yeah. hustle porn. <laughs> you know, advocate. And he's all about the hustle. And that he was somebody I was listening to a lot at the time, because again, it was appropriate for that time of my life. But long term, I don't think is sustainable. And it's also it's not what I want for myself either. Like, when I ask myself, like, why do I want to work for myself? You know, what's the end result here? Well, I want to have more freedom, I want to have more be more self sufficient, ultimately, so I can have I can actually free up my time to spend with my family or to, um, you know, take some time off during the week to do the things that I enjoy. Like, I don't want to do like the nine to five all the time. I want to have a bit more freedom and flexibility in my, in my schedule. And so if I'm hustling, if I, if I'm building a business and a job that requires that hustle, it's not, it's taking me further from where I want to be, which is more personal freedom. So hustling was important in the beginning to get the business going. Yeah. And even for the first couple of years, but now like, I'm in a nice place where I can I can enjoy the benefits of the work that I've done. I've got the system and I've got a team around me now. And so I don't need to hustle as much anymore. But depending on the project or um, maybe clients we're working with, maybe I need to like, you know, hustle a little bit for a short period of time. So I think hustling is kind of like, it's like sprinting with your work. You know, it's sprinting, it's working harder, putting in full maximum effort for a short period of time. But you will burn out, just like you can't sprint for a kilometer nonstop. Yeah, that's a great analogy. You need to like slow down eventually because you need to rest. Otherwise, you're just going to not finish the race. 
Yeah, exactly. No, I completely agree. Um, so I, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on what you think of sort of this generation of hustle culture. I'm not, you know, entirely sure if this was something that was, you know, um, prevalent, you know, like 30, 40 years ago. Um, I think maybe in the 80s possibly, but I feel like that mm. was more of like the girl boss kind of vibe. Um, yeah. But going back like 50, 60 years ago, from what I'm aware of, hustle culture wasn't really kind of a thing. So mm. this generation um, and, you know, you're looking at people like, um you got like Kylie Jenner and you've got like John Cook from BTS and all these really young people who are like 21, 22, and they're really sort of um, pushing this hustle culture. So why do you think people of this generation in particular are obsessed with hustle culture? Yeah, it's a good question. I think maybe one of the things is like, it's something people say a lot on social media. So that's partly it. I think it yeah. sounds good on social media, <laughs> you know, on Instagram, you can, yeah. you can share a motivational story about how you're working really hard. And I always laugh because I, I see, I, I've got friends and I see people who show this is where I'm working from today. And they post a picture with their laptop sitting outside somewhere, you know, do, putting in the hustle, we're hustling hard today. It's like, yeah, but you still took out your phone and shared it on social media. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're on Instagram. So <laughs> I don't know. You think you're hustling, but you're wasting time, you know, to share it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I don't. I'm, I never have I once shared like this is where I'm working today or whatever. Um, I find it so awkward. Just kind of like this is yeah, sort of. I, I, yeah, I find it. A little, I find it a bit cringy. Um, I think as well, technology connects us and keeps us online more than ever, especially since COVID, because a lot of people are working remote. There's almost. Um, and I think if, if the workplace culture that you work in isn't healthy, it can almost, you can have these workplace cultures where you are expected to be on 24 seven call. Like if I email you, I expect a reply pretty quickly. Or if I message, send you a message on Microsoft Teams or Slack, I expect a quick response. Yeah. And so I think the technology, because it gets abused, and I think because a lot of teams don't put good protocols around how to use the technology, they don't have these protocols in place, People just use instant message tools. They use tools like Asana, Slack, Zoom to keep in constant communication. Mm -hmm. And especially because if you're working remote, managers and bosses want to keep on top of their team and see what's going on. It's created this expectation that you always need to be connected and you always need to be responding. So that's kind of more fuel on the hustle fire, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of young people, Procrastination affects everyone from childhood through to adulthood, et cetera. Um, now, I don't know about you, but I procrastinated more in high school than I did in university. I'm not sure for a lot of people this is not the case, um, but I think I procrastinated more in high school. I don't know. I was just, you know, you were there every day and you just didn't want to be. Yeah. So what would you tell a concerned parent whose child seems to be struggling with procrastination? Yeah, great question. Um, uh, I mean, my, my we, we do have a three-year-old and actually we're expecting another baby soon. Um, but yeah, he's three, so haven't uh, he's not at school yet. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if I'm the most qualified to give this advice, maybe in a few years. Um, but I think if I was like looking ahead, number one is I would tell myself, well, don't worry too much because like school isn't right for everyone. Uh, so not to say like, you shouldn't send your kids to school, <laughs> but like, 
if if I send my son to school and he doesn't excel at certain subjects or is just maybe he's just not that academic, I don't think I'll be too concerned. And and you look famous last words. Maybe I'll eat my words, or maybe there's a parent listening going, "You have no idea what you're talking about." But like, <laughs> um, I think my my approach is going to be when our boy goes to school is like I want to see him excel and do well at what he enjoys. Yeah. So it might not be the academic subjects. He might not respond well to the class environment where, you know, really, because school is outdated, right? Like mm. a lot of the way we learn now, it's you've got these big classrooms, one teacher trying to teach lots of people. Um, a lot of kids don't do well learning that way. Yeah. Um, but maybe he'll do well with sports or yeah. maybe he'll pick up a hobby or something that he really enjoys. So I think as our boy grows, like I'll be, I'll be keeping my eye out for, well, what does he really enjoy? What is he naturally good at? What does he want to engage in? And I'm going to do my best to encourage and kind of support those things. Yeah, no, exactly. I completely agree. I think it's um, helping that child sort of figure out what their passion is and what they love doing um, and maybe where their strengths and weaknesses are. And I think when you let them um, I don't I don't have kids, <laughs> but I do have um a 13 year old brother and an 18 year old brother. Um, and I was very involved in their in their childhood as an older sister. So I've seen the I've seen the ups and downs of not wanting to do schoolwork or being yeah. a bit too passionate about something or, you know, leaving the assignment to the very to the to the day before. That has happened <laughs> too many times. Um but yeah, I think it's about sort of watching where their passions are and seeing um, how they learn and yeah. sort of what it is exactly that draws them to that subject. And I find that if you encourage them and give them that sort of um, motivation in that area, yeah, that anything can start to, it'll transfer over into other things when they feel yeah. like they're doing good at this one thing, then they're like, oh, okay, like, you know, I'll do this because I'm, I'm just going to do it. Like it tends to transfer over. So I think, yeah, for those concerned parents who's children are struggling with procrastination. I never procrastinated more than I did when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. Still, still graduated. I mean, it came out well. So I think, I think you're okay. I'm sure as well, like when our boy goes to school and he starts getting homework and reading, reading assignments and, and essay assignments and things like that. I'm sure I'll ask him like, Hey, have you, when are you going to do this? Have you made time for it? Like, do you know how long it's going to take to do this, read this book or, or to do that assignment? Like, I'm sure I'll, uh, being the productivity geek that I am, like <laughs> just help, help guide him on some of those things. Like, when are you going to yeah. do this? And, oh, so you want to go play right now or you want to go to your friend's house? And what about the assignment? Have you made, have you got a, an idea of when you're going to do that? I'm sure I'll be helping with those kinds of things and helping him to, uh, plan his time. Yeah. Yeah. The perks of having a productive parent. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's important to make, let kids make mistakes as well. So like, yeah. you know, if he wants to go and. I don't know, play outside, play sport or hang out with a friend. And then he leaves the assignment to the last minute. You've got to like, let them, let, let them make that mistake a few times. Yeah. And they'll then see the say, repercussions. Yeah. And then he'll get the next assignment. And I'll say, Hey, do you remember last time you left it to the last minute? Do you remember how stressful <laughs> it was? And do you remember how you probably didn't get the grade you expected to? And that kind of, you felt a bit let down by that. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. Maybe we should do it differently this time. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. You do just have to let them kind of <laughs> make those mistakes. I've definitely learnt from 
yeah, leaving assignments to the last minute and just being like, Oof, we're not, <laughs> we're not going to do that again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, let them find their passions, let them grow, let them make mistakes um, and encourage them as much as you can. That's kind of yeah. all you can really do. I was talking to a friend the other day who's a parent as well. He's got two boys, which is funny because funny we're, we're going to have two boys when our next one arrives oh. and then he's got two boys who are older. So his right. eldest, who is now 10, he was saying when he was younger, he, they were on a car a road trip in in the car and his boy was I think watching something on the phone or the iPad you know watching something to let the time go by and he said to him don't watch too much you're going to be sick and he's like no 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 I'll be fine I'll be fine yeah what do you know he was sick in the car and so he let the kid make the mistake yeah and then now his eldest is teaching the younger one how to avoid the mistake so when the younger one is now watching the iPad in the car he says don't do that I was sick because I did that and you shouldn't do it. And so now you've got the eldest actually helping the younger one, which I yeah. thought is like brilliant. <laughs> yes, exactly. Older siblings all, all the way, yeah. 100%. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the planning fallacy. Um, so for those who don't know, this was a, a challenge or sort of a term coined in relation to procrastination. So when an individual fails to create a realistic schedule to abide by, and then the result of this is more often than not disappointment in uncompleted tasks. So what advice do you have to those who struggle with making realistic plans and schedules? Yeah, I mean, I I go through the process of like, if you struggle with making a plan, there's a couple of things I like to do. First is kind of know where you want to get to. So like, what's what's the goal at the end of the day? Now, sometimes that's obvious. Like if you're working on an assignment or uh, some project where maybe the end result is obvious, but sometimes you almost need to step back. Like for example, in starting my business, I was like, well, why am I doing this? Like I said, it's about that personal freedom and, and self-sufficiency. So whatever it is, I think understanding the why is important behind any work that you do. Why am I doing this? Um, if you don't understand why or like how is this making how is this project going to get me forward how is this advancing me towards my goals could be could even be personal like maybe you have like a personal health and fitness goal to lose weight or to gain weight or whatever it might be understanding the why is is really important so getting clear on that is number 1 um and then when it comes to actually making the plan I like to, often I find it easier to work backwards. Like I said, when, when I was back at university, when I was given those assignments, it's like, right, I know um, the assignment is due on whatever date, you know, this date of this month. So I've got six weeks to get it done. Yeah. And if I, if I break out, like, what are the steps that I need to go through? To, like, if I, again, using my university example, I need to write like a, an intro paragraph. I need to do like four or five main paragraphs, the body of my argument, and then I need to write a conclusion. I'm going to have to do write all of that. That's going to be my first draft. And then I'm going to have to do like two or three rounds of iterations where I get maybe some feedback and like revise it and, and just do that final polishing work. And so if I, that's, those are the steps that I need to take. Now, let me think about well, how long do I need to, how long do I need to do for each one of those? Like, let's try and a- allocate some actual hours. Like if I give myself an hour, I could write a pretty good introduction in an hour. And same for like the first paragraph, maybe I need like 60 minutes or 90 minutes. And I'm going to, um, that's going to include maybe finding a few resources. Actually, maybe that might be separate, like, you know, going to the library and finding some resources to support my argument or whatever it might be. Yeah. So actually working out what are the steps? How long do I need for each one? Now let me, working backwards, 
put that onto the calendar. And this is where you can actually use a tool, you know, before we talked about systems and how they help with discipline, you can take a tool like your calendar and literally put blocks of time on your calendar for doing these things. So, okay, I don't want to, uh, with me, I didn't want to have my essay in on the day of the, the due date. I want to get it in at least a day before, <laughs> just because just I want to get it in early. I don't want to leave it to the day. Who knows as well? Like maybe maybe the bus breaks down on the day I want to hand it in or something something bad happens. Like I'm just going to try and <laughs> hand it in a day before. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I know that if I'm going to hand it in a day before, I want to do the final, uh, I need to do that final kind of revision or po- uh, polishing work like a day before that or two days before that, I'm going to need two hours to do that. Right. Put that on the calendar. Okay. I'm going to have to do an hour to do the, the, each of these paragraphs. Let's put that on the calendar. So planning, I mean, kind of, I guess to summarize the steps that I've outlined, number one is understanding your why. Number two is like dissecting down, down the work into the smaller steps. Sometimes it's really hard to get started on something because you're just looking at this really big project that you need to do and it's really hard to plan something that seems really big. So break it down into the steps, right? I'm not going to write an essay. Writing an essay is too hard. I'm just going to write the introductory paragraph, yeah. you know, T- break it down into the small bite-sized pieces, then put those on the calendar and actually assign yourself some time to do those things. That's how I like to plan. And it's a really tangible way of taking your this project or whatever it is that you're working on and actually making time for it. You know, yeah. actually putting it on your calendar, making time. That's an expression I really like is you should be making time for things. Everyone says like, I don't have time. That's a terrible, that's a terrible thing to say. You should never, ever, ever use the words, I don't have time. Yeah. What you actually mean, because we all have time. We all have the same amount of time in, in our day, right? We all have time. So when you say, I don't have time, what you mean is, I don't want to make time for that. If they say, I don't have time to do that, what you're saying is I can't make time for that because I'm making time for other things. So you should be thinking about making time for things. Um, So sorry, a bit of a tangent there, long waffly answer, but uh, I hope that helped. No, we love love long waffly (laughs) answers here. So I guess, okay, are you a to-do list person? That's... Yep. Okay. All right. Because I like to-do lists, but I don't like making sort of daily to-do lists. Do you make daily to-do lists? I do, but I don't make them every day. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay. I don't I don't yeah. start them I don't start my day by writing a to-do list. Okay. All right. Okay. That's fair. Because <laughs> I like I like to-do lists. Don't get me wrong. I think it's very important to sort of break things down yeah. and schedule things in, but I'm definitely more of a calendar person because when it comes to to-do lists especially daily ones or just even I I tend to stick to like weekly ones because otherwise I get really disappointed when they aren't completed. Mm. Um, And I think it's in our nature as humans to assume that we can do way more than we're actually capable of in like a certain amount of time. Um, And I don't know if that's just because I have bad time management (laughs) skills, Um, but my day can change so quickly. Yeah. And so I hate, to think that I wasn't productive just because I didn't do those particular things. So I'm just sort of like it always in this weird sort of balance where I'm like, I have yeah. this to-do list and this is what I need to do, but I don't want to like write things down 
in sort of, you know, pen and paper yeah. because then I'm so scared that if I don't get them done, I'm just going to be really disappointed. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's sort of like what you said, sort of making realistic plans and schedules and actually breaking it down because I, I will be the sort of person I used to be anyway, a lot more in sort of first year uni in terms of making like really big goals and this not happening. Like I'm going to write, like I'm going to write all of my essay or like, you know, write at least like three paragraphs or whatever and in like an hour and it's just never going to happen. So I think sort of understanding how fast you can work and what your most efficient self is yeah, then making sort of your realistic plans and schedules from there because you have to sort of know how you work. Yeah. So um, I use both. So I, I have a task list, which is Asana. It's a project management tool. And I use my calendar. So it's not either or, it's both for, for me yeah. anyway. The reason I need both or the reason I use both is that if I just use the calendar, if I want to just see more holistically, what's all the work I have on the go right now, like all the clients I'm working with, the projects we're working on, admin work, like just I want to see what's on my plate. It's quite, it would be quite hard to do that with a calendar. Yeah. Because um, you can't really... I mean, yeah, you've got the, I was going to say, you can't really zoom out. Yes, you can see like a monthly view, but you can't, there's no like list of projects with like, here's each project and the tasks you need to do for each project. You can't see that on a calendar. So that's why I need a tool like Asana is I can actually see here's every project. And because I work in a team, who's responsible for what and when everything is due. So that's where the work lives. But then the calendar is a tool that I use with the task list to actually plan, when am I going to get these things done? So I actually use it to block out, okay, well, um, these are the things that we want to do this week. I've only got eight hours a day for five days to do them in. What can I put on my calendar? And the great thing about putting it on your calendar is it forces you to take your task list, which is a list of really just good intentions. Um, and like you said, it's very easy to overestimate what you can do in a day or a week, but we often underestimate what we can do in a year. Um, I can't remember who said that, but something I've heard before, I think it's pretty true. Yep. Um, so we often overestimate what we can do in a week. And so by putting things on your calendar, it forces you to prioritize. So you go, right, here's, I don't know, 20 things I want to do this week. Mm. You start blocking out time on your calendar. The great thing about putting them on your calendar, if you work in that week week view, the weekly layout, you actually have to allocate an amount of time. Yeah. Whereas with a task list, if you just use a task list, it's very easy to overcommit to things because... Yep. You can just create lots of tasks, but not all tasks are created equal. Some of them may take five minutes. Some might take five hours. So the great thing about the calendar is that it forces you to take that list and actually make a plan and allocate time to each task. So I will block out time for things as small as 15 minutes and as big as like, you know, two to three hours Mm. are these blocks on my calendar. And so when I'm creating my plan for the week, if I am running down my task list and my week is filled with the first 10 things on my list, and I have 10 things that I haven't made time for, then I have to make some trade-offs and go, well, okay, if I wanna get some of these things on here, I have to shuffle things around, maybe I have to bump something to next week. I have to now make trade-offs and actually prioritize. So that's why personally, I like to use both, is I've got my project management, task management tool, which is where the work lives. It's where I can see my kind of what's, what's in our pipeline, what have I got coming up for the next few weeks or months. And then the calendar, which is the tool we use at a granular level to plan when are we actually going to get these things done? Yeah. And that, I mean, we're talking about procrastination today. That to me really helps the procrastination issue because by putting something on your calendar, remember what I said at the start, 
most things we put on our calendar are things that are time sensitive things yeah. we've, usually when we've committed to somebody else as well like i've committed to mm-hmm. turn up to this um podcast interview with you today yeah we, we both committed to be here we don't we don't want to show up late because we've made that commitment so by putting your tasks on your calendar you're kind of making that same commitment to yourself like you do with an appointment with somebody else mm-hmm. so you're putting it on your calendar and you're saying right from 10 to 11 o'clock i am working on this and so i think it helps you to um, overcome procrastination because number one, you've got a plan. And so half the work is done. You now have a plan, but number two, you've kind of made that mental commitment yourself to do the work. Yep. No, definitely. I think it's important to have that balance. Um, I just started using notion like two months ago, totally changed my life, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like has helped in so many different ways. And because my commitment level for some reason has just stepped up dramatically. Um, maybe that's just because, you know, we're all in a bit of a daze from the past two years. So what is a commitment is a bit sort of blurry. Um, but yeah, notion and my calendar and it's just, oh, finally everything feeling a little bit more organized after like two years. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, workplace procrastination and productivity in the workplace. So I think at the moment, a lot of employers are struggling with this concept in terms of the procrastination of their employees and the fact that a lot of the time they're at home and you can't see them. And I think a lot of employers are very stressed about the fact that they're possibly not getting as much work done. Um, But in saying that, I think we're all very guilty of procrastinating in the office. And there are definitely, you know, things that you can do to waste time uh, when you're in the office. So what would be your top three tips that you can offer employers or employees um, who struggle with procrastination and have their work productivity at stake? Yeah. I mean, Definitely number one would be like using some kind of work management tool. I mean, yeah, we use Asana. There's tools like Monday, Notion, Basecamp. I think every business needs some system for managing their work. It's always surprising to me when I <laughs> when I get approached by a client. Actually, it, had, it happened to me today. It was a law firm. And they said, oh, this is where we're using Asana. We need some help. It's our first time using a project management tool or any 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 tool for managing our work. And I'm like... That sounds like a law firm. <laughs> how have you been managing your business? Like, how do you know what to do? Or just even having a list of clients? I guess maybe they have it in a spreadsheet. I don't know. But like, I'm always surprised. I'm like, how have you been got your business to where it is without some way of managing your work, especially if you work in a team? Uh, so I think that's number one, super important. Just having a tool to manage your work, as in where you can lay out, here are the projects we're working on. And so what we're doing, who's doing it, and when is it due? Who, what, when? Yep. You need a tool, I think, that that shows you for each piece of work those three things: who, what, and when. Um, because then, you know, if 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 managers and, and uh, business owners can have a bit of trust, you know, for, uh, uh, towards their team, we can then say, look, okay, we're working remotely. I can't look over your shoulder and see what you're doing. Um, this is how you're going to be measured. You know, what, obviously it's different for every employee and, and different jobs and businesses, but this is how you're going to be measured. This is These are the metrics we care about. Maybe it's revenue, maybe it's customer satisfaction, maybe it's how quickly we can do the job, whatever it is. Everyone, you know, we need, everyone can be measured some way, I suppose, and, and the business owner or the manager will know if the person is delivering results. Like, how are you measuring that person's performance? So then you can say, right, this is how you're being measured. 
we have this work management tool so I can give you the work. You know, if we have a project, we can set it up in here. I can see when it's due and uh, let's get on with it. You know, if you're working from home and if you want to start your day really early because you like getting up early and you want to finish at two or three o'clock in the afternoon, do that. And as long as you're delivering the results that we've agreed, that's how you're being measured. I don't mind when you work. Same thing if you if you want to get up late and, uh, you know, spend time, you know, walk your kids to school or whatever, and then start your day at 10 o'clock or whatever it might be, or go to the gym in the morning, and then you want to start at 10. And uh, you're going to work later in the day. Fine. I mean, yeah, maybe there needs to be some flexibility there for teams that need to connect at different times if you've got like an all hands meeting during the week or something. But um, that's something that, um, you know, we've worked with lots of different businesses. and, And those are the workplace cultures that we find are really successful is when people know how they're being measured or, or how their performance is being tracked. Um, and then there's that trust. There's that mutual trust that, look, you know how you're going to get measured. We've got this. We've got a way of managing our work. So I can see if you're getting things done. I can see if these tasks that I'm assigning you are overdue. If you're falling behind, we will see it. Because if you don't have a tool, if you're just using email <laughs> to track what everyone's doing, it's very hard to see, like, are we falling behind? Mm. You know, whereas a work management tool like Asana really makes it pretty clear, like when things are on track, when you're falling behind, you can literally see people's tasks and they turn red, you know, when they're over here. <laughs> yeah. So um, what was I saying? So, yeah, you know how you're being measured and how performance is being judged. We've got a way for ma- managing our work and I can see if things are being ticked off on time or not. And then I trust you, you know, go and uh, get on with it. If you want to start your day at 10 and work later, that's fine. And so I think... um. Those would be some, those, when we, when we work with businesses that kind of have those three things, I think, um, those are the businesses where we see the staff are really happy as well. They, the staff feel empowered. They have a way of manage, of managing their work. They know what's expected of them and they have that freedom as well. Yeah. Now I really like that idea that you've brought up, um, which has been, yeah, a, a constant thing, but it kind of just hit me just then. I used to work in a law firm. Um, so when you said you got approached by a law firm that did not have a task management system, I was like, Ooh, <laughs> that <laughs> is a very familiar concept to me. Yeah. Um, I find, I find most law firms don't, or the ones that I've worked in at least don't really have a task management system. So I think having a task management system definitely, it changes the environment. Like you said, you find the employees are more happy because they know where they stand and what they have to yeah. do. and how they're being measured um yeah in my old law firm it was just it was just emails so you didn't know what other people were doing and the lawyer that was working on the case with that other lawyer didn't know when other stuff was due it was the most disorganized thing I've ever been through in my entire life which you yeah for such an important kind of uh workspace they would have something yeah. like that. It changes your your mindset and your approach to work as well. Because um, again, I was working with a company. The, this, this is a big property development company in in California, and they again didn't really have a project management tool. And they said our work is very reactive because really they just spend their time. They manage their time and their projects using email. And email is a very reactive tool, as in you get emails from people. And so what do we do? We respond. If email is the primary way that you kind of manage your work and do your work, your time is sort of being spent reacting to other people. So you email me with a question or a request. I then reply. 
So I'm react, I'm constantly reacting to the requests and questions that people have of me. Um, whereas if you have a project, uh, some kind of work management tool, project management tool, it then switches you to be more proactive. So instead of just reacting to the work all the time, by planning our work, by saying these are the projects or the clients that we have on the go right now, this is what we need to do next for each one. Then you can kind of go down that list. You can prioritize and say, this is the one we should work on first. This is the next thing for this client. We can then, you know, if you're using your calendar, great. You can block out time for these things. And it puts you into a more proactive way of working mm. in rather than just reacting to other people's demands. Yeah, no, this is a sign to law firms and other firms. <laughs> Please institute a task management yeah. system just for the sake of your employees. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that was a very nice, productive conversation. We're going to talk more about sort of your personal practices and habits because, um, yep. like you said, you are very organized person from day dot so i think the listeners will be very interested to see um yeah what the what the experts do in their daily life so what is a practice that you personally do to deal with procrastination um i think i've already given my biggest piece of advice which is which is using the calendar uh, but I mean, just to break it down again, like I said before, it's it's understanding the why or the goal. What is that end result? Where is that end destination? Where where do I want to be? What what's my plan? Like, what's all the work I need to do? Dissect it. Take go through that dissection process. What's every single thing I need to do? And then putting it into a a plan on the calendar. Actually blocking out time. So that's something. Like I said, I started doing at uni. Uh, ten, eleven, no, oh my gosh, longer, like twelve years ago. <laughs> um, and I've been doing that consistently ever since. Like for me, everyone's so much of productivity is personal and we've all got different ways of working. If you prefer a paper notebook or a, a paper system, or you prefer notion, that's fine. Like whatever works for you. For me, I've been doing this for 12 years. I couldn't imagine working in a different way. I need to have, I need to, if I want to get something done, it goes on my calendar. And that's the best way to avoid procrastination, I think. I was once in an interview, I was on this productivity panel and I was asked, we were all asked to me, it was me and like two or three other experts. And we were asked like, you know, do you procrastinate? What do you do? And maybe I was being, <laughs> I, I wanted to stand out a little bit from the other experts, but I, th I said something along the lines of, I don't procrastinate <laughs> because, <laughs> because, um, which is maybe not entirely true, but I, the point I was making is that because I use my calendar in this way, I always have a plan of what to do next. And it, okay. If I'm honest, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I procrastinate. I can definitely procrastinate from time to time. But uh, yeah. I think having the calendar, helping you to plan what you need to do next is uh, like a big game changer. Yeah, if there's if there's one tip I can give people, if you struggle with procrastination, use your calendar and plan when what you need to do and put blocks of time in your calendar for those things and hold yourself to them. I would have been scared if I was on that panel. Okay, <laughs> so are there any <laughs> challenges that you face with this practice? Uh, I think with this specifically, the biggest, you actually mentioned it earlier, which is that there's sometimes a danger of you make the plan, you start doing the work, and then you realize I haven't scheduled enough time. That's probably the biggest um, obstacle or, or um, resistance that I face when people listen to this advice. They say, well, they either say, you know, you know, I might start the work and the plan's not quite right. So how do I deal with it? Or they say, well, actually, I need to be more reactive. My work is so reactive. I can't possibly schedule my time like you do. And I need to be reactive 
just like everyone else, um, the great thing is with this method is if I put something on my calendar, number one, if I don't make enough time for it, I can bump, I can spend more time on it. I can just bump whatever blocks that I'm not going to have time for today. I can bump those to tomorrow or the next day. So I always have my calendar open. I'm literally, I can look at it right now. It's on my screen. Um, it's not something I look at a couple of times a day. I am looking at my calendar hundreds of times a day and I actually move things around all day, every day. So even if I, if I finish a task early, I will actually adjust the block and say, okay, that, that, um, task that I thought was going to take an hour took 45 minutes. So I'll actually shrink it to show that it only took 45 minutes. So in that way, I'm actually using my calendar to actually track my time. Everything that I've already done is the actual. So if I look at my Monday, I can see exactly how I spent my time on Monday. So it's almost like a way of journaling or like recording how I spent my time, which is really useful. If I, if something takes longer, I'll make the block bigger and I'll bump, I'll move other blocks around. So I'm constantly editing my calendar. I'm constantly shuffling things around, playing kind of Tetris on my calendar, trying to get everything to fit in nicely a bit like you do with Tetris. So even if I have yeah. to be reactive, or if I spend more time than I thought I would on a task, I can move things around. Um, the other thing to do as well is when you are doing that plan, try and budget more time than you think you need. So if you think something might take half an hour, just put an hour in, be more conservative. And then if you finish early, you've kind of like, gifted yourself free time because it's like oh great now I've got an extra half an hour I yeah. can do this other task or whatever else yeah you've kind of got this free time now yeah so um that's probably the biggest challenge is if anyone th anyone that feels they need to be more reactive or that this is too much of a rigid system it's it it to use it to have success with the system it does require you to be sort of checking in with your calendar regularly and moving things around constantly replanning so my planning actually the final thing I'll say is I don't plan, I do a weekly plan, like on a Friday, I, I do plan my upcoming week, but planning for me is not something that happens once or twice a week or at the start of the day. Like I think earlier, I said, I don't plan at the start of the day. I'm always planning. Every time I finish a task on a project, like if I finish a call with a client or if I, I finish a piece of work, the very next question I ask myself is what's next? What for this project or this client, what do I need to do next? So I then create a task or I'll put a block on my calendar. And so I'm, I'm constantly making time for the next thing that I need to do. That's why I don't start my day by writing a to-do list because the, the to-do list is, is constantly updating yeah. in my Asana and on my calendar. I'm constantly updating it. So I'm actually always planning. Um, so that's the final thing I would say is, is yeah, just having uh, blocking out a bit more time than you think you need and allowing for the system to be flexible, shuffling things around as you go. Yeah, for sure. So you've kind of answered most of the questions, but I guess, um, is this a practice that you think everyone can implement or is this more like sort of person to person thing? Um, I'm sure there are going to be certain types of job or people that just, this will not work. Not, I don't expect everyone to work this way. Um, I've shown, I've talked about time blocking with lots of people and I've faced some resistance from people because they think it's too rigid or how do I, you know, I need to be reactive. They then give it a go and realize, oh, actually, this is really cool. This is, this is helping a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, the other thing, the other advice I give is you don't have to block out specific tasks like I do. Sometimes you could just block out like themes or different types of work. So you might block out like, okay, admin admin might be you know like i don't know doing invoicing or um 
I don't know, any, any kind of like mundane administrative tasks. And then you might have a block for like uh, email. Like I'm going to clear my inbox. You might have a block for client work. Now, you might not go into the details of what clients that is or what projects you're working on, but you can block out. This is a period, like three hours I'm just going to spend on client work. So you can start with a bit of a, a higher level plan. You don't have to block out specific tasks. So that's something if, if you're listening to this and you're sort of not sure or interested in giving it a go, you could start doing that. But I'm totally realistic to the fact that not everyone works the same way. Um, definitely, please feel free to try try what I've talked about today. But at the end of the day, you've got to do what works for you as well. And uh, if you prefer like a good old, you know, notebook and pen, if that's what works for you, do what works works for you and do what is going to be sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I really like um, what you brought up before in terms of like blocking out time, but it doesn't have to be a specific task, just sort of be like related to that kind of thing, like sort of blocking out time, like, oh, this is when I'm going to work on this thing that's related to this sort of like client work. I'm going to respond to client emails. Like it's not going to be like, oh, I'm working on this particular case with this particular firm and that sort of thing. It can be like, oh, I'm just going to work on my cases and just sort of like round it out like that. So I really like that. I think I will definitely, something I would implement. Even just making time for like, okay, I'm going to spend an hour in the morning just clearing my email and inbox. I'm going to do two hours of client work. I'm then going to have an hour of phone calls that I need to make, you know, just, just putting in some of those big blocks can be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And making, making time for email is a good one as well. Like rather than just constantly dipping into your email throughout the day, like make a block for email in the morning, get it done and then try not to revisit it until the afternoon. And that way you can kind of make time for more deep work where you can say, right, I've got two or three hours of client work. I'm going to shut down my email. I'm going to turn off Slack or Microsoft Teams so I can't be distracted. And now I can do that you know, we call it deep work. I don't know if you've read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport, but that sort of highly focused work where you don't want to be distracted. So kind of blocking out time for email to like deal with everyone's responses, get that reactive stuff out of the way so that you can then not be distracted and do some deep work is is a really good idea. Definitely. So based on your experience, do you have any other sort of recommendations of practices that you can pair with this? I think we sort of touched on this before in terms of like pairing your calendar with like something like Asana or Notion. Yeah. Um, we use Asana at work, which is great. And oh, it's no. so helpful to kind of have those two things. Yeah. Um, but based on your experience, do you have any recommendations on how people can um, pair this with something else or improve this practice? Mm. Um, no, to be honest, I think I've already um shared most of the tips like i do i do i do think the um the calendar and some kind of work management system do go hand in hand like i said i don't think it's either or i think you sort of need both uh, i mean everyone uses a calendar um pretty much you know for appointments and things so i think it's just about taking it to that next level and uh, like i said your task list is really just a list of good intentions um so those are those are, i mean the calendar and task list that's the main pairing to be honest um, I mean, sometimes that you can, you can automate, you know, I, I've, um, got my calendar to connected to like my sales CRM as well, pipe drive. So if I schedule like important sales based activities, it might be like creating a proposal or, um, uh, like booking an introductory call or a demo call with somebody like I, I can have that connected to my pipe drive. So, you know, with, uh, with like your CRM, like connecting that. And so that some of your things are happening automatically is quite cool. Like actually uh, all of my, um, 
bookings basically happen through Calendly. So I've got my Calendly connected to a uh, to my calendar. So when somebody books a call, it automatically goes in, which is nice. So I mean, that that's the only other thing to consider is like connecting your calendar to other apps that you use for like making scheduling really easy. Definitely. Yeah. Having everything connected has this like changed my life in the past couple of months, being able to have the same thing on my laptop and my phone and having them talk to each other. is so helpful. So I highly recommend to anyone listening, keep those things connected. Maybe one other thing is like using shared calendars as well is really useful. Like even for your personal personal things, like my wife and I have a shared calendar. Um, so so I actually for my calendar, I actually use the Apple calendar. I'm on a Mac, so I use the Apple calendar. And the really nice thing about that is that um, I can actually sync multiple accounts to it. So I've got my um, my Google calendar, which is my work my work calendar is all Google. And so, but if I just logged into Google calendar, I would only see my work. But by syncing that to my Apple calendar. Uh, or I think you, yeah, you, uh, can you, I don't know if you can sync Google to Outlook. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But there are Let's other, uh, yeah, there are other uh, calendar applications out there, like Fantastical is a really popular one. Um, so by syncing my Google Calendar to my Apple Calendar, and I've got my iCloud, so iCloud is my, you know, personal life. That's kind of how I divide everything. iCloud is personal, like I've got my iCloud email and calendar, and then I've got my work email and calendar. So both of those things show up on my Apple calendar. I've got my work and my personal both in one place. And so then my wife and I, we have a shared calendar. So if there's things we both need to be aware of, like um, if uh, like picking up our boy from kindy, like if who's responsible for that, or this weekend we've got a 30th that we're both going to, so that's in the calendar, or if it's like catching up with family or something that goes in the calendar because we both need to be aware of it. So that's another really good one. Yeah, maybe more, I mean, definitely professional, but I do this quite a lot on the personal side is like sharing a calendar with my wife so that um, <laughs> I've sort of dragged her into some of my productivity. <laughs> um, but no, we, we love it because it just means, um, and actually, you know, what's funny is we, <laughs> when we um, at the gym, we go to a CrossFit gym and we have some really good friends there. And people will laugh at us because if we plan to do something with our friends, people will be like, oh, which one of you is going to put it in the calendar? <laughs> so people know that we, we work this way as a couple. The darn thing. Um, it's quite funny. But that's, that's a, it's a really useful thing to do is just having like a shared calendar with, with people that you need to connect with. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think that's really great. Yeah. If it's like friendships, work, relationships. Yeah. It's so helpful to have. Yeah. And especially in families when you've got like you know, kids and that kind of thing. And it's so helpful to just be able to pop on and just be like, what, <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing today? Yeah. Um, so yeah, those things are, are really good recommendations. Thank you for those. Mm. Um, so that pretty much wraps up that portion. So we're going to move into what we call open mic now. Uh, so this is where you have the opportunity to take this conversation wherever you want to go. I know you said you're a bit prone to sort of rambling and going down rabbit holes this is your opportunity to make the most of that skill um so is there anything that you sort of wanted to bring to the floor or to the listeners or just discuss um anything that you want to talk about it's it's all yours oh man that's that's too open a question for me um <laughs> i mean we could talk about bitcoin like i said it's an, it's something i'm interested in and i could share a little bit about that and why i'm interested in if, if you I'm care very to learn fascinated. about that but, uh, but uh, we don't yeah. have to. No, I'm really fascinated. No, I'm super <laughs> fascinated. I have so many friends who discuss it and I'm so confused by the entire concept because I am not, I'm not commerce at all. I am all like arts and law. Um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin is just this like weird sort of like far off idea. Um, 
So like, how, how did you get into it? Sort of, this is your open well, mic session. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll explain, cause th- this is a big topic. Honestly, it's like a whole other show. Um, maybe I'll start by talking about the thing that appeals most to me about it or why I think the world needs something like Bitcoin is because if you look at like, whenever I talk to somebody about it, I say, what problem, what is the problem with money right now? Or if anyone's into like crypto more broadly, I don't, I'm not into crypto, I'm into Bitcoin. And you know, obviously there's lots of different cryptocurrencies. I don't, I don't dabble in any other cryptocurrencies. I'm, I'm only into Bitcoin. I'll pretend um, that I know what you mean by that, but I'm sure the listeners <laughs> do. Sure so. you, you've probably heard of, you've probably heard of like Ethereum. Yes. Yes. Like some of the, so there's some of the other ones, right. So there's different ah, types okay. of, um, there's different types of cryptocurrency. So it's very much like, um, different types of currency. You've got the US dollar, the Australian dollar. Basically, you've just got different types of cryptocurrency. Um, so I don't, I don't care about any of the other ones, um, and I can explain why. But uh, so if you think about, well, why do we need this thing? Why do we need a digital currency? Like, what problem does it even solve in the perverse place? Because unless it solves a problem, why would we use it? You know. And some people say, well, you know, with cryptocurrency, it's it's a faster form of payment or whatever. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily um, the problem that it solves. Because if you think about it, if you buy a coffee now today, you're not suffering from slow payments. Like you can take your uh, credit card and you can, or whatever card, and you can buy a coffee and you can pay for it instantly. And um, you're going to walk away with your coffee straight away. So I don't think it solves the slow money problem. I mean, yes, it, it does take, because there's lines of credit, like a merchant has a credit provider, the final settlement takes a bit longer, but I don't think the velocity of money issue is is really the problem. I think the problem that Bitcoin solves is that at the moment, all of the currencies that we use in our lives, whether it's the US dollar, the Australian dollar, New Zealand dollar, they are controlled or they're set, put in place by a central bank, like here in New Zealand, we have the Reserve Bank in New Zealand. And really the monetary policy is decided and it's set by a few people. <clears throat> and so what we've witnessed in the last couple of years is central banks and governments around the world <clears throat> to have stimulated their economies to get through COVID. <clears throat> and so they've created a lot of new money. They've just pumped money into the economy, print, you know, we call it printing new money. It's not actually printing new money. They're not printing <laughs> yeah. new physical notes. <clears throat> but for all intensive purposes, that's what's happened is governments have um, printed new money to keep the economy going. Now, we don't have to get into whether that's justified or not. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, they've shut down economies, so people need some money. But the impact of that money printing is the inflation that we're seeing now. And so what we're seeing now is that everyone's purchasing power is going down. So I think in New Zealand, we're expecting like 7 to 8% inflation this next quarter. So it means that it means that the money that you earned last year is worth less this year. And when you kind of stop and think about it, it's like, you know, I earned however much, however many dollars last year. And it's kind of like this ice cube that's slowly melting. You know, if I leave my money in the bank long enough over time, even at a modest rate of inflation, my money loses purchasing power over time. But why is that? Like, if I work today I, and I'm trading my time for money, I want that money that I earn to to sustain itself. I want that to last a hundred years if I need to. You know, if if I want to pass that down to my kids, you know, I don't want my hard work to like erode away. And so that's the problem I think with money at the moment is 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 it's eroded through inflation, and we're really seeing that now. And so I think the problem yeah. is partly that it's controlled by. Um, governments and central banks and a few people that get to decide 
uh, when it's created and it, and it can and uh, when it's when that power is abused it leads to massive inflation which we're seeing now which i think is probably going to get worse so that's the problem so then you enter uh, something like bitcoin and the great innovation of bitcoin is that nobody controls it it is yep. a it's often described as like a protocol like the internet nobody nobody controls the internet nobody can shut down the internet um you can you can yeah you can regulate like internet service <laughs> yeah. providers and there's a certain amount of regulation that governments can do but yeah nobody can stop the internet really it's this great it's this great technology that allows information to flow freely businesses to operate online communication we can i can, I can run my business and communicate with clients all around the world and it's this perfectly like capitalist democratic tool that gives everyone a voice and gives everyone access to information and so bitcoin is like the the internet's version of money it's like nobody controls it and it has this fixed supply you can't create any more so it has this fixed supply of 20 there are there were sorry there's actually about 19 million bitcoin in circulation right now it will then stop there's new bitcoin being created all the time but that will stop when it reaches 21 million which will happen in about 100 years time the point is is it has a very predictable supply schedule and I might be, this might be all this over your head. This is so fascinating. No, continue. Has, I've got no idea what you're talking about, but it's really cool. So it has, it has this predictable supply schedule. It, you can't create any more past that 21 million cap. So it's this great, great way of preserving uh, your money and your wealth. So instead of inflation kind of eroding your purchasing power over time, if you store your savings and your wealth in something like Bitcoin, which can't be controlled by anyone, and it doesn't get inflated away through irresponsible money printing. It allows you to preserve the work that you've done today for your kids uh, and for you to enjoy in the future without it slowly melting away like regular money. So that's sort of the intro. That's the introduction I like to give to Bitcoin. Before we talk about how it works and why it's different to the others, I think it's important to understand the problem that it solves. Yeah. And that's, so that's what I think. Yeah. That's so interesting because, yeah, I feel like people, I have heard about it, obviously, and because I'm still at university and so I've got a bunch of commerce friends who were like, (laughs) that is their entire existence. Um, And so I, like, I see it, but yeah, and I feel like that some of the listeners can definitely relate to this. You know, you see it everywhere and it's talked about everywhere, but I have absolutely no idea, like, what, (laughs) like, what it is. But I really like that you explained what problem it solves and what it fixes because that was that was not something that I was aware of like at all like I was just sort of like this is something that some like commerce geeky dude has this like pulled yeah. out of this air and just made everyone's life a whole lot more difficult but it actually makes a lot more sense when you put it like yeah. that and what it solves. when people when people introduce it they say you say what is bitcoin it's a peer-to-peer decentralized digital currency that's kind of the definition that people throw around and then you try and explain that to somebody it's like hang on what like why do I need this what is it about so before we get into like, yeah, how it works or what does decentralized peer-to-peer digital currency mean, just start with what problem does it solve? And I think in the Western world, we haven't needed something like a cryptocurrency until now, now that we're seeing massive inflation. Um, other countries where who have witnessed like a huge reduction in their purchasing power, places like Zimbabwe, Venezuela, um, I think I've, uh, Turkey at the moment is seeing something like 50% inflation at the moment. So that's like your your earnings are, have been cut in half, 50%. Like yeah. you, what you can buy today 
inflation is like this hidden, it's, it's like a hidden tax in a way because your purchasing power has gone down. And so um, in the Western world, we typically haven't needed Bitcoin until now because we haven't experienced the downsides of a, an unstable currency. Um, where other countries have. And so, and like, look at what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, Ukraine at the moment, people on both sides, um, you know, the Russians and Ukrainians are um, to escape their country with their assets are using something like Bitcoin because they can't carry their house out of the country. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's quite hard to move money out of your country, depending on the financial system that you live in, especially Russia, who's been canceled by everyone. You know, they've been disconnected from the SWIFT payment system. They've had massive sanctions put on them. So for Russians who are like, they maybe it's Russian people who don't support the war, they just want to get out because they're like, oh my gosh, my country's, um, my, our currency is collapsing. Yeah. They have this, this lifeboat that is Bitcoin that helps them to get out. Um, so we, t- we haven't needed that yet in Australia and New Zealand. So we've been slower to understand the benefits of it. Um, but other countries who have seen like massive inflation or who have had their bank accounts frozen, look at what happened in the in Canada with the, the protests with the truckers recently. Yeah. And um, the government said, we're going to freeze bank accounts of anyone that's supporting this movement. Um, so the government's basically saying, you know, if we, if you, if we don't agree with you, we can freeze your money. And that's kind of like, especially somewhere like Canada, like a very democratic country yeah, you know exactly. like oh man if that could happen there i mean geez i suppose it could happen anywhere, happen anywhere. So people realizing maybe i don't the money in the bank is not really mine it's like maybe i don't have control of it so i think i think people are starting to realize the value in something like bitcoin definitely yeah and i think yeah just uh learning about it and being a bit more educated about it i feel like people will then sort of open up to it a little bit because i feel like yeah. if you don't know about it it's this kind of like is something for people with bigger brains than mine and I'm just never going to grasp this concept yeah. so I think yeah it's, education around it is that podcast important. that I mentioned what bitcoin did is really good and like I think where we are in where where we are in the adoption cycle um we're sort of I think we're at like 130 150 million people have or use bitcoin at the moment wow so it's the equivalent of it's actually not a lot it's it's actually the equivalent of where the adoption of the internet was in the year 1997 98 Right. Okay. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> yeah. You're actually like, oh, wow. Like if there were 130, 150 million people using the internet in 97, uh, then the internet went through, you know, we, we saw massive, uh, a massive explosion in the adoption of the internet sort of in the early to early 2000s and the mid 2000, the 2000s really, you know, 2000, 2010, the internet exploded. We saw like Google, um, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, all these big companies emerge in that period of time. And I think that's where we're starting to get to with uh, Bitcoin is it's been around for like 11 years. And that first 10% adoption has taken about 10 or 11 years. Um, but I think, you know, the next 10 years, I think we're going to see a lot more people getting on. So I think it's still very early days as well. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for educating us on that yeah. interesting topic and bringing it to the floor. Um, yeah. And for those who are more interested, yeah, go and do some research because it sounds mm. like yeah. something that, yeah, we should um, definitely be educated on. Great. Mm. Okay. So coming into our last segment, we're going to top it off with some audience questions. So we've got cool. two to three audience questions that we're going to run through um, that we've gathered. So our first question is, how can we teach ourselves to acknowledge the consequences of procrastination and not continue to overlook them? Ooh, great question. 
uh, teaching yourself the consequences. I suppose um, I often, when I, if I've procrastinated on something, I then think about like, how would I, <laughs> how would my life have been easier or less stressful or um, just better if I hadn't have done this? Like, you know, okay, I've procrastinated now. I've missed that deadline. Maybe my boss is annoyed at me or, or my, in my case, you know, maybe my clients annoyed at me because I said I'd do something, but I didn't. I've let them down. And, and, and focusing on that, okay, yeah, focusing on the consequence, like, man, this sucks. I, especially for me, like, you know, working in my own business, like um, where your, your sort of reputation is very much on the line, I've always tried to focus on like customer satisfaction and being very good with follow-ups and, and doing things when I say I will do them you know, holding myself accountable. Uh, and so it's, it's a terrible feeling when you like let someone down. And so if I, if I do sort of catch myself procrastinating, I think about like, look, don't, don't let Tia down, you know, like it's going to, it's going to suck, you know? So even, even if, uh, even if yeah. that means maybe I, maybe I email you and just shift the deadline and say, Hey Tia, like I'm having trouble with this. It's maybe taking longer than I thought. Mm. Um, I'll get back to you by the end of the week. Is that okay? Yeah. So open communication, I think, is really useful is just being realistic with your deadlines and when you can get things done and communicating that to whoever needs to be in the loop. But um, yeah, I think the the answer is sort of in the question. F focus. <laughs> yeah. Focus on those uh, consequences. And uh, if you're like if you're like me, you'll be like, oh, man, that that felt horrible. I don't want to let them down again. So um I'm not going to procrastinate next time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think the repercussions of the consequences of procrastination will, yeah, will teach you in and of itself. Okay, great. So second question we have is what advice would you give to someone who procrastinates mainly because they work better under pressure? Ooh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, I suppose. I mean, I don't know. Part of me is like, well, what I said earlier, you know, do what works for you. If you if you can honestly put your hand on your heart and say that you're going to do a better job by leaving it to the last minute and uh, you thrive under pressure, and if you think that's genuinely going to lead to a better outcome, <laughs> I'm a bit skeptical of this, to be honest, but maybe it's yeah. just because I work differently. If you think that you work better that way and that works for you, okay. I mean, they say, uh, what does they say? Um, pressure creates diamonds. Yeah you know? So I'm, I'm skeptical a little bit of that, but, but if that's, if you do well under pressure and if you feel like, look, if I leave it to the last minute and I just need some Red Bulls and I'm going to pump this out in, in the last minute, if you, if you don't mind that pressure, I mean, for me, I can't think of anything worse, but if that works for you, great, do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I like that you brought it up in terms of like, if you genuinely think that you do better under pressure than you do, if you gave yourself time, like is the quality going to be like the same or better well that's a good point maybe you can change the pressure for and changing the pressure from getting this done on time if you maybe you can apply pressure by holding yourself to a higher standard yeah so okay i'm rather than leaving it to the last minute and putting myself under pr a time pressure i'm going to get started earlier because i'm going to hold myself to such a high standard that if i don't do this um, well enough to a point where I'm really happy. I'm going to let myself down. I'm going to let my clients down. So that's another another way to look at it is um, pressure. Yeah, putting yourself under pressure based on the yeah the standards you hold yourself to. I think that's a good point. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And our final question 
is, <laughs> I like this question, how seriously do we need to take procrastination? Uh, yeah, I mean, it might depend on the individual. If it's um, like for me, and, and maybe this is a big headed of me, like, <laughs> I, like I said, I haven't struggled too much with procrastination in, in the last few years, because I think I've got a good system in place. Mm. I don't, I mean, I do sometimes like, yeah, maybe I'll, oh, man, I'll just check my phone quickly. And I can I can be guilty of just like, I don't know, killing some time on Twitter if I need to. But but I haven't procrastinated to the point where it's like, oh, no, I'm letting I'm letting my clients down or I'm dropping the ball. You know, I haven't gotten yeah. to that stage yet. Um, the second but part are- of that question is there is there is the second part of that question. The second part of that question, um, because it says, how seriously do we need to take procrastination? Um, is there a vast difference uh, between procrastination and being lazy? Mm. Maybe. I think that's an interesting point. I'm, mm. I'm sort of yeah. interested in terms of what you think the difference is there. Yeah, I think. Um, so I think I would say, you know, if, you, if you're sort of like, oh, you know, is procrastination a big deal? I would just look at sort of, well, what are the, what are the, what is the impact? Like kind of the previous question, what are the consequences? Like if you do procrastinate, what's the worst that could happen? Maybe the consequences aren't that bad if you procrastinate. I don't know. So in that case, yeah, maybe it's not um, a big deal if you put things off, um, depending on the work that you do. For me, like I said, my priority in my business is making sure my clients are happy and that we deliver our projects on time and on scope. And, and we, we, we follow through with what we said we would do. Yep. And so the consequences of that are, if we don't do that, it makes us look bad. And I, and that's not, that's not acceptable. So like, if we ever have a delay on a project or something's going to take longer, we communicate that we will say, look, this is taking longer than expected. Here's the reason why can we shift, shift the deadline? So that's where, like I said, the communication being transparent is really important to us. And, mm-hmm. and I, um, with my team, I've always said like, as long as we are communicating with our clients and, and keeping them in the loop of our progress and when to expect things, if it takes longer than we say it's going to take, that's fine. Cause we've communicated it. Yeah. Um, so I just hold myself to a higher standard. If we do procrastinate, it's sort of like, to a degree, it, it gets to that point where it's sort of unacceptable. Um, and then the question about laziness. Yeah. Um, again, it depends what you're doing, because as we talked about at the start, there's different types of procrastination. So you might be procrastinating with other works. That's not lazy. Laziness, I suppose, is, um, <laughs> I guess, like genuinely what is laziness? I guess it's kind of like genuinely doing nothing when you should be doing something productive, like at, like at work, you know, that yeah. you asked earlier about managers keeping tabs on their team. Well, if you are sitting at home watching Netflix when you should be working and you've got work to do, yeah, I suppose that's probably lazy. That's straight but, being lazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I actually, I actually um don't mind. And I actually almost encourage a bit of laziness when, um, when it's when it's warranted like being in sort of the productivity self-improvement space years ago i would put a lot of pressure on myself to like always be learning always be using my time really effectively yeah um you know i know people that in the evenings they won't watch netflix they'll be reading a book because why would you watch netflix when there's you could read a really good book and and learn something new and be improving yourself and i i used to be more that way now I'm just like, you know what, the whole self-development, just being being so obsessed with like self-development and improvement all the time gets exhausting. 
So I actually don't mind a bit of laziness in the right context. So for me, if I've worked all day, if I want to go on the PlayStation in the evening and go do you know game with my friends or watch Netflix and watch a movie with my wife, like some people might look at that and go, well, you could be reading a book. You could be, you could be reading a book about self-improvement or um, doing something more productive with your time. Yeah. For me, I'm like, you know what? That's fine. I don't care. I'll be, I'll be lazy because I know I've worked hard over here and I'm going to reward myself with some laziness over here <laughs> yeah. um, and, and take that pressure off of constantly needing to improve myself or constantly needing to optimize every minute of my day. Definitely. Sometimes it's okay to just like do nothing. <laughs> yeah. Have some downtime. I think that's always really important. Um, and there is, yeah, that there is that clear difference between procrastinating and actually giving yourself like a break. Um, yeah. And giving yourself some downtime. So very important. Well, thank you for answering all those audience questions. I hope they were helpful. And that pretty much brings us to the end of our podcast today. Thank you so much, Paul, for being here. I know we've all learned a lot. And for people who want to learn a little bit more about what you do, where can they go? Best place to go is my website, Paul Miners. That's Paul M I N O R S dot com. Uh, so you can find me uh, there. You can contact, contact me there. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. If you put my name into YouTube, I make a lot of videos about Pipedrive and Asana and, and different productivity uh, apps and things. And uh, Twitter as well. I'm, I you know, enjoy procrastinating at times on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you can connect with me there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yep, note that you can find Paul procrastinating on Twitter. There you go. When I've, <laughs> and... when I've earned it, when I've earned it and done some work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You have been listening to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pp.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.